Well, good morning again. again. My name is Josh. I didn't introduce myself earlier, but uh, one of the pastors here. So if you're uh, visiting with us, glad to have you here today. If you're joining us online, really grateful for you as well. And to all the moms, happy Mother's Day. We're thankful for you and uh, just, just grateful to celebrate you. And uh, for all of you, I encourage you to get in touch with your mom if you're able to today, if, if, if that's a possibility for you and tell her you love her if she's still around. And um, for those of you though, ladies, uh, maybe who are not moms, I know today can be a, a really a good day for those of, us, those, those of us, those of you who are, but it can be a, a really painful day for a lot of ladies who, who wish they were a mom, who uh, maybe were a mom but lost that child or children, or uh, maybe those who long to be married and waiting for that child to, to show up and to have a family. And so today is maybe a harsh day and just a reminder maybe of the things that you don't have yet. Um, but you need to know, uh, we're so grateful for you and you are loved and valued and cherished and your dignity and your worth before God and your completeness has nothing to do with whether or not you're a mom or if you ever will be, but the fact that you image Jesus Christ, you image the Lord and he loves you so much. And so we love you as well. Um, at the end of the service, there'll be opportunity to, to pray and people to pray for you, with you, maybe if if, if that's you, uh, we'd love uh, even just to pray over you that maybe God would give you children if that's something you desire. Um, but in any case, know that you are loved and we're grateful for you today. Hey, um, this morning, our, our passage really fits well just with a day like today. Um, whether you're a mom, whether you're not, uh, whether you have a family, whether you don't right now, uh, it's curious how God works in his sovereignty just to kind of map things out. You know, we launched into First Peter at the beginning of the year and by his grace and his providence today in our 17th week, we land on this passage from First Peter chapter five. I'm actually gonna start reading in verse five, which we covered last Sunday, but verses six and seven specifically. Likewise, Peter writes, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, Clothe yourself, then, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. So we're going to unpack that passage this morning. We're going to talk about those things, a little bit about anxiety and fear and worry and um, God's care for you in the midst of that. Uh, but before we do, would you pray with me? And then uh, we're going to dive into God's word together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you do love us, that you do care, as we just read from your word. Um, and Jesus, that uh, no matter our station in life, no matter what we have, don't have, uh, what we've experienced, what we've not. Jesus, that, that you love us deeply and your love and your care and your concern for us is unchanging. Would you help us to rest in that today? Holy Spirit, um, I pray that you would speak through me and to me even as I, I teach your word. Let my words be your own. Would you change us and shape us to be more like Jesus as we trust him and rest in him? Father, we look forward to a good morning. Thanks for your word and your care and your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, Peter here, uh, he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Kind of what Peter is saying here is he starts off as uh, rest under God's care. Rest. Doesn't that sound like the opposite of, of worry and fear and anxiety? Just to rest? I don't know about you, but when I experience fear and worry and anxiety and all of those emotions, uh, I, it's anything but restful in my spirit. Um, I might have kind of a somber look on my face, but inside things are just being tore apart. Did you experience that? Peter tells us here, God tells us through Peter to rest under God's care. In fact, the way he starts is to humble yourselves, therefore. Why would he say that? Well, he's, he's, you got to remember, this is in context of a whole letter. He's been talking about humility and uh, knowing our place. And really, that's what humility is. It's, it's knowing my place. Uh, in other words, uh, I'm under God. So sometimes we might think of the opposite of humility as pride. Like I've got a big ego. Like that guy, that gal, they, they think they're God. They think they're God's gift to this place or whatever that is, right? And so we think of pride as having this big ego like above God. But no, humility says my place is below God. But do you know at the same time, sometimes uh, pride isn't thinking of myself higher than I thought. It's thinking of myself lower than I ought. That at the same time, pride really is just thinking too much about me. And so while pride can be a big ego, pride can also be uh, a low self-esteem or depression or kind of the Eeyore mentality. Woe is me, you know, and just everything. Nobody likes me, everybody hates me, that sort of mentality. And, and Peter reminds us, no, humble yourself. Think rightly of yourself. If, if you're down here, no, remember, you are honored above everyone and everything else in all creation that God has created. You're his prized jewel of his creation as a human being bearing his image. If you're up here, you need to lower yourself and think rightly of yourself and humble yourself, knowing that you're under God. So that means you are humbly honored. That's who you are in Jesus Christ. Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Notice, under, your place is under God and above lower creation, under the mighty hand of God. You know, that phrase, the mighty hand of God, is a, is a phrase used of God's power and especially of his deliverance and care for his people, especially in the Old Testament, in, in, in the Exodus account. And, and multiple times you read of God's mighty hand or his outstretched arm. Are you familiar with the account of the Exodus? If you're not, let me just uh, give you a brief flyby. In the Old Testament, God's people, Israel, uh, became slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh. And Pharaoh, as a wicked king, enslaved them. He was afraid of them. And uh, so he, he was a taskmaster over them. Gave them hard tasks to accomplish and to care for day in, day out. Just back-breaking labor. And they cried out to God, and God sent a deliverer. He raised up one of their own in Moses. And Moses, at the age of 80, shows up and uh, delivers God's people from under the hand of Pharaoh. And you might remember the, the 10 plagues God used to rescue them. And the penultimate one was uh, the death of the firstborn, or the Passover. And on that night, what, what God had told his people is, find a perfect spotless lamb, Take it, sacrifice it, and then paint the, the door frame of your home with the blood of this sacrificial lamb. 
And uh, tonight I'm coming into the land of Egypt and if I see the blood of the lamb painted on the doorframe of your home, I will pass over that place and show grace. But if I don't see it, then my wrath will fall on that place and your firstborn, the firstborn among you will die. And so this happens and God's people uh, paint the doorframes of their home, they obey, but the people of Egypt do not. And, and so uh, God's wrath falls on them and they chase the, the Israelites out, they go across the Red Sea and they're on their way to the land God had promised their ancestor Abraham. But you know, all of that points forward to Jesus. God rescued them with a mighty hand, but all of that really pointed forward to Jesus, especially the Passover. Because uh, God said that uh, he, he sent Jesus into the temple as the perfect lamb and, and who was sacrificed on the cross for our sin. And, and if we would paint the doorframe of our life with the blood of the lamb, the perfect spotless lamb, and put our trust and faith in that, in Jesus' work on the cross for us, God's wrath will pass over us and on to Jesus on the cross, just like it passed over them in Egypt and on to the sacrificial lamb. And Jesus satisfies God's wrath, and that's his mighty hand. His mighty hand rescued them all his volition, all his work out of the land of Egypt. And in the same way, his mighty hand will rescue you from your sin. He'll guard over you. He'll care for you in the midst of incredibly hard and trying times. In the midst of your anxiety and your fear and your worry. You know, um, in fact, here, here's an example of this uh, phrase used in the Old Testament, uh, recalling the Exodus. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 34. Has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war? Uh, there it is, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. And in the same way, he would say to you, is, is there a God who would give himself to die on the cross for you, for your sin in your place, so that you could be made new, so that you could be with him forever, so that you could have rest and peace? Is there any God like that? Only Jesus. And it's his mighty and outstretched arm that protects you. So Peter tells us, humble yourselves, know your place, get under God, under his mighty hand, under his mighty arm. Now, do you suppose the people of, of Egypt or of Egypt of Israel in Egypt, do you suppose they had some fear? We read about their fear, right? Multiple times they have fear. Anxiety? Yeah. Worry? For sure. But, but God brought them through every situation, didn't he? His mighty hand rescued them. You know, the command here from Peter and from God to be Humble, to humble ourselves under his mighty hand is, is really a command to just accept that sometimes life is going to be hard. Not to seek hardship. It's not a command to, to seek out difficult circumstances. It's a command to accept what happens knowing that God's mighty hand will cover over me. He's at work. He'll protect me. He'll lead me through. And Peter says, at the proper time, he will exalt you. Just trusting his timing a lot of times, sometimes a failure to trust the Lord and, and to submit ourselves under his mighty hand and either submit to pride thinking too highly of myself or too lowly of myself is, is really a failure just simply to trust the Lord, to trust his mighty hand, to trust that he's in control. 
And we all can struggle with that, especially when it comes to his timing. Because I don't know about you, but I have a wonderful plan for my life. But it hasn't gone that way. <laughs> Is that your story too? Well, God does have a wonderful plan for you. He, he loves you deeply. And he's with you even in the midst of, of the trial and heartache of sin, of fear, of anxiety, of worry. He hasn't forgotten you. And you can humble yourself under his mighty hand and trust him to bring you through. He will, he promises to. See, the heart of, the, of man plans his way, Proverbs tells us, but the Lord establishes his steps. And notice he, Peter tells us at the proper time, he may exalt you. At the proper time. He doesn't tell us what that proper time is. Don't you wish that was there? Like next week, five o'clock, Tuesday. It's all gonna be better. No, he doesn't say. He doesn't say if it's, it's later today, next week, next year, next life. We don't know. But according to his timing, we need to trust that at the proper time. Do you, do you trust God's in control? You gotta remind yourself of that. I've gotta remind myself of that. And to humble myself under his mighty hand because he can exalt me. And, and exalt you, really, your translation, if you have a different translation, you're reading along, might say raise up, might raise you up. And that's the idea that he, he would raise you up. And you know, one day, if you've trusted Jesus, guess what's gonna happen? You may be in the ground, but he's gonna raise you up. He's gonna get you out of the ground. That's, that's the mighty hand of God to rescue you. And one day the cares and concerns as real and as hard as they are right now will fade in comparison. We saw Peter write earlier in this letter and as Paul has written and compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Trust him. Rest under God's care. How do you do that? Well, in part by giving him your anxieties. Notice Peter says, uh, humble yourself. This is all one sentence. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting your anxieties. That's part of how you humble yourself under him. You just, you, you, you give him your junk. <laughs> you cast it on him. You know, casting that word there doesn't mean like just to go, here you go. And I just kind of lay it down just gently and cower away. No, it's like, it means, the, the word there means to hurl. Like imagine you're carrying a big rock and you're trying to throw it in a pond or something like that, right? And you, you're carrying this rock and it's just huge and you can barely move with it and you're kind of walking like this and you get to the edge of the water and you just go, and just kerplunk, splash. You just, you hurl it in or, or you just take it and even just, just as hard as you can throw something. That, that's the idea. You just say, Jesus, you gotta take this. Let me cast it upon you. And you cast it upon him. When you cast your sins on Jesus, you, you, you anchor it to him. He, he bears it on the cross in your place for you. And you can do the same with, with your anxieties and your concerns and your cares. You, you give them to him and he takes them. So if I'm gonna give him my anxieties, what, what is anxiety? What is fear? What is worry? They're, those are all kind of the same words, aren't they? Same things, fear, worry, and anxiety. Well, maybe some of these uh, definitions might help. Fear, uh, fear is, is pretty concrete. Fear and fear can possess us. Like when, when we struggle with fear, it's loud, it's visceral. 
If you listen, you can even kind of identify the reasons you're afraid. You know, there, there's, it says there's a real threat. It's something, something you love, someone you love is in danger. Your money, your reputation, your body, your soul, your, your very life or the life of someone you love. And you're not in control. That's fear. Maybe fear's right in front of you. Uh, maybe it's lingering a little bit for you. That fear's pretty concrete. You can make it out. And then there's anxiety. And anxiety is kind of like fear that's blurry around the edges. It's just kind of there and it's just buzzing and I'm not quite sure what to do with it. I can't quite identify it. While fear usually has its reasons, anxiety is maybe a little less, uh, you're a little less able to articulate it. It, it. You can decipher some of it, but it's less precise. It's just there and you kind of even have maybe a physical reaction to it. And it's like your body remembers there's something to be afraid of and something to be worked up about and you can just feel it, but your body's not telling you what that thing is. <laughs> That's anxiety. And, or maybe anxiety is just, you do know what it is and there's so many reasons, you just don't know where to start to deal with it. That's anxiety too, isn't it? And it's just fuzzy around the edges. You can't get a grip on it in any way. So you pace and flit and flirt from one thing to the other. Feels like you just want to scream. <laughs> and then there's worry. And worry is just totally blurry. Because worry often can become just totally irrational. Do you ever do this? Do you ever worry about something and you're not quite sure what it is, but, but you add definition to it in your mind, right? You're the one who makes it concrete. Not that it's something to really worry about, but it's just like it grows from this thing and then it takes you down this road to this one and then over to this one and this one and this one and this one and this one. Next thing you know, you're like, you're in such a spiral, you don't know what to do. Fear and anxiety and worry. You can cast all of those things on Jesus. I know that's the easy churchy answer, right? Well, of course, I know I should do that, Josh, but how? How do I do that? That's really hard. You know, uh, speaking of worry, Corey Tenboom uh, would say that worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength because worry tends to be totally focused out in the future, doesn't it? And you live in a world that isn't real. I mean, how, how often, and I'm speaking to myself here too, how often do you worry about something and you go down some crazy paths in your mind and it, it, even if that thing happens, it's, it's never anything like you pictured in your mind. Most of the time, it never comes to pass. And if it does, it, it's never quite as crazy as you imagine, is it? And that's my experience, like most people's. But, but fear and anxiety and worry, it, it's impatient. It, it wants answers. It, it's, it's a strong emotion. There's a couple things to know about this is... Uh, Number one, uh, it wants to be the boss. It wants authority. It wants to tell you how life really is, even if that's not how it really is. And it won't be persuaded easily otherwise. You know, if, um, if experience of fear says there's danger and you say there isn't, even if in reality, you know, oh, my fear says there's danger, my worry says there's danger, but I say, no, there's not. What wins usually? Is it rationality or my fear? Often my fear. It's just, it's, it's demanding, isn't it? It holds on tenaciously. And even, even God's word doesn't make a difference sometimes. 
in the, in the sense of my thoughts just get away from me. Another thing, when fear escalates, it wants relief and it wants it now. It's impatient. It, we're all impatient. Um, we want to get rid of it as quickly as we can, and fear is no different. It'll, it'll kind of uh, focus in on, on some promising thing, some treatment, some vice, some sin sometimes that'll, that'll numb it, that'll bring relief in the moment at that time, but it only lasts a few seconds, and then you're back to worrying and feeling anxious. And Why do I highlight this? Why even go down that road? And I mean, I, I can see it on some of your faces. You're feeling more anxious now than you did coming in here. You're like, Josh, just stop. You're, you're working everything up in me. Well, the reason I bring it up is because one of the first things we've got to do, if fear is so demanding, anxiety is so demanding of us, one of the first things we need to do is just be still. Psalm 46.10, what does God say? Be still and know that I'm God. Quiet your heart. That's harder and harder today maybe than at any other time, isn't it? Got stuff buzzing at us in our pockets all the time, on our wrists, on the TV. <laughs> There's always something longing for our attention worries to be worried about, fears to protect against, anxieties to deal with. But we need to be still. It's one of God's exhortations to fearful, anxious people. Quiet. Quiet. Be still. Be quiet. You, you can understand why it might be translated quiet. Because you have all those things going on. And one of the things about fear... Um, is, and anxiety is they're, they're, they're running from something, right? You're running from this thing and maybe it's concrete like fear. Maybe it's uh, just uh, this kind of buzzing like anxiety. Maybe it's totally blurry and undefined like worry and you're just running from it. But the reality is like fear and anxiety and worry, they don't know what to run to. And so they try a little bit of everything. But the problem is you don't need something to run to. You need someone to run to. You need someone. I mean, think about a fearful child. You saw it here this morning. Some of these kids, right? I'd reach out. If you, you would have really saw it in the first service. You reach out and, no. <laughs> Just, or if they do come to me, like Viv came to me, then what did she want to do right after that? Go right back to mom. Why? Because as a child, we know instinctively that, that the cure to my fear isn't something, it's someone. The reason we run to mom and dad in the middle of the night is that's someone. Well, it, God uses that imagery of him as a father and we as his children because it, it makes sense to our experience. And so when we're afraid and when we're anxious and when we worry, we don't want to run to something. We want to run to someone. That's who we're really looking for. We're looking for the Lord. To be still, to know he's God. You ever just be still and think about that? He is almighty God in control of everything. All the things I want to be in control of, he is in control of. The cure is a person. Peter told us in chapter two, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree 
that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That like I said it earlier, as we trust him, we anchor our sins to Jesus. Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord. He'll sustain you. He'll never permit the righteous to be moved. Jesus spoke a lot about anxiety and fear and worry. He even said, uh, Luke chapter 12, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to their span of life? If then you're not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And we all know, like, a, like the, to add time to our lives, that's not a small thing. That's a big task. But Jesus says, no, that's actually a really small thing for me. If, if, if you're, are you anxious about the rest? You can't even do that. Then he goes on here. Just listen to the rest of what he says here. It won't be on the screen, but he says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't toil or spin. But I'm telling you, even Solomon in all his glory wasn't arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And seek not what you're to eat or to drink. Don't be worried. All the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. He expects that we're going to worry. He expects we're going to be anxious. And, and he knows that even after we come to him, we'll probably be anxious again tomorrow. <laughs> and we'll have to go back to him again. I mean, how many of you with your young kids, would you, would you ever do that? Would a good dad, would a good mom ever do that to their kid? Grow up. I comforted you yesterday. Figure it out today. No. You'd welcome them with open arms moment after moment after moment. And so would Jesus. He invites us to run to him. Cast all your anxieties on him. He cares for you. Come to me, Jesus says, if you labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Uh, Hebrews 13, I will never leave or forsake you. Psalm 27, the Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And on and on and on throughout scripture. In fact, to fear not is the most common command in all the Bible. You know, uh, God expects us, expects that we're going to be afraid, that we're going to be anxious, that we're going to worry. So I'm not so sure that uh, fear, anxiety, and worry are necessarily sinful. Jesus experienced worry, didn't he? In the garden, he didn't sin. The issue is, what do you do with it? What do you do with it? Do you go to something or do you go... To someone, you know, when you, you turn to Jesus, you trust him and uh, you give him your sin and uh, you anchor your sin to him. Do you know you can take your worries to him in the same way? What are some of the worries you're carrying around? Um, maybe your family? How about, uh, what do we got here? Money? Your finances? Could be your health. That's a big one for many of us. Your job and career? Your kids? How about your past? Maybe it's, maybe it's your past. And I, I carry all these things around and I'm just trying to juggle them and, and keep track of them and, and I just, I'm, I'm going crazy, my anxiety, and eventually they get away from me. Now what do I do? That string is shorter than it was the first service. <laughs> 
But you know what you need to do? Here's how the illustration's supposed to go. I was gonna pull that back down. You need, you need to anchor those things to God's word, just like you would anchor your sin to him. Because he loves you, he cares for you. And left to your own, they just, they get away. And everything spirals out of control. So how do you do that though? Well, I'll just give you one idea, okay? That you would anchor it to his word. And it might begin by simply praying his word. You know, we had young kids up here. You know, uh, those of you who are parents, again, uh, or if you've, you've watched parents with their young kids, or even if you've been with a young child, one of the, the fun things to do with a young kid is to get them to start repeating things back to you as they're learning to talk, or maybe it's just an expression or a sound. Don't you love that? And it brings a lot of joy to your heart. Do you, do you suppose maybe your heavenly father who loves you perfectly might enjoy the same thing? as you repeat back to him what he said to you in his word. Maybe you don't repeat it back perfectly, but he loves to hear from you. He starts the conversation and you can just pray it back to him. Maybe, you'd, maybe that's a way you could start to deal with some of your anxiety and fear this week. Turn to a passage like uh, Philippians chapter four. And in uh, Philippians chapter four, Paul writes, this, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord's at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace that passes all understanding. Maybe you pray that, Lord, uh, I know I need to rejoice, but I don't know how to right now. My heart is so anxious. It is just spinning out of control. Would you give me your peace, you promise? Help me quiet my heart, be still, and know who you are. And just pray his word back. Maybe you'd go to uh, the Psalms. The Psalms, that's exactly what the Psalms are. It's just uh, David and others just pouring their heart out to God, specifically making their requests. If you don't know where to start, go to Psalm 23. You probably know, have heard that psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. He, he quiets my soul. I mean, you, you can just, just pray those things back to him and, and see if that would quiet your heart. The other thing, you need to anchor those things to the Lord. You also need other people in your life that you can talk to. We all need friends. Get involved in a life group somewhere with uh, some kind of relationship where you can, other people can help you with those things and carry those things alongside you. Even at times, finding some professional help, just somebody to listen and help you sort through all those things you're trying to juggle on your own can be so helpful. If you need help with that, we'll help you with that. We want you to know Jesus' peace, to know his love for you. And in his, in his care for you, he, he gives you what you need when you need it. You might call this the manna principle. If you go back to the story of the Exodus, after they got out of Egypt, they're walking around in the desert, and uh, what are they going to eat? You suppose that caused a little anxiety around hundreds of thousands, millions of people in the desert, no food, <laughs> not knowing for sure where they're going? I bet it did. And what did God do? He provided for them what? Manna. 
In Exodus 16, the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Notice he doesn't say just gather, I mean, because there was plenty. He didn't say gather up all you can. Like in our anxiety and not trusting the Lord, but trusting in ourselves, we go, I'm gonna get as much as I can. I'm gonna put it in cold storage. I'm gonna freeze it. I'm gonna seal it. This is gonna, I'm set forever. (laughs) But what would happen if they took too much? It would all rot. It would all rot. And God wanted to say, will you trust me for today? And then will you trust me tomorrow that I'll have new mercies for you tomorrow? And then the next day, and that each day his, his, his mercies are new every morning, scripture tells us, right? Jesus said, therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Just come back to today. Quiet your heart. Pray his word back to him. Try starting there. You know why you should do this? Because he loves you. (laughs) He loves you. You ever share something with somebody and you're not quite sure if they really want to hear it? Or maybe somebody shared with you and you're not sure if you want to hear it? (laughs) It's not the case with God. He receives it. He loves to hear from you. He doesn't chastise you for it. He's gentle and lowly and brings you in and welcomes you and loves on you every moment, every time. Let me pray.